to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, CEO of Exactic, a robotics company based in Melbourne, specializing in personal robots. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you to Wafa Johal. Wafa, welcome and thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Nikki. Uh, it's a pleasure to, to be invited, really an honor. Thank you. That's super. Well, for your lecturer and on tenure track, which basically means you're an associate professor, is that right? So assistant, assistant uh, the, that's the equivalent in the, in the US, yes. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Okay, at the School of Computer Science um, and Engineering at the University of New South Wales. You have a PhD from the University of Grenoble Alps, which is in France. So tell us, first of all, what brought you to Australia and how long have you been here? So uh, before arriving in Australia, actually, from France, I spent uh, four years in Switzerland. Uh, but just two hours away from my hometown. So I, I, I was born and raised in the Alps and I moved to Lausanne, which is uh, just uh, on the same lake as Geneva, but a few hours from uh, from the border of France. So didn't move much, but I, I had a great time there in Switzerland. I stayed four years as a, for my postdoctoral studies and I, I really enjoyed uh, working there. And But after four years of postdoc, I wanted to go into a more serious professional academic position and um, I looked around different options and I've always been tempted to come in Australia to be honest because of uh, first of all professionally speaking I think the, loca the location of, of Australia makes it probably the best uh, country for academics first it's an English-speaking country and everything we do in science is in English. Uh, so writing, speaking, all of these things are in English. So very important to be surrounded with students that are able to work with us in the language that we work with. And and also the the, the position of, uh, of Australia makes it very interesting because you can easily connect with Asia, uh, with uh, colleagues in Asia. And in robotics, uh, a lot of things are, are happening in Asia. And you can also very easily connect with people in California uh, because of the time zone. So I'm collaborating now with more and more people uh, on the on the west coast of the U.S. So very interesting to 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 be in this part of the world to be able to connect because I have connection in Europe. I've worked for four years and uh, I was involved in European projects, and so I've worked with people in Sweden, Norway, uh, Portugal, Germany, UK. I have connections and I keep these connections and I, I do still do some meetings quite late in the evening. Uh, but uh, being able to now start collaborating with people in Japan, for instance, uh, Japan and Korea, I, I think are doing really interesting things uh, in social robotics and service robots. Uh, they are, I think, pioneering the, the fact of putting robots really in public spaces and testing them with, uh, with people. Of course, the culture is different, but I think there's a lot of things we can uh, get inspired from from them and uh, and uh, and yeah, I've started to build contacts. Now I'm I will be program chair of a conference called Human Agent Interaction in 2021. Uh, it was supposed to be uh, hosted in Japan, but we will do it online so that it will be fair for everyone. Um, but I'm, uh, all the organization team is from Japan, so really enjoying working with people uh, and academics from different universities in Japan now. So 
Listen, it's fabulous. You know, um, just uh, for the listeners, uh, Wafa and I actually met on Clubhouse, which I think has been the best thing since on Clubhouse. Um, and if you're not familiar with Clubhouse, it's a social media platform that um, is actually only open to Apple users at the moment. But I was listening last night and their 15 million users have logged, have registered on it. So it's a, it's a phenomenal platform. But the long and the short is actually more, more pertinent for me is that I'm meeting people such as yourself there because um, you know, the to find women in robotics in Australia, like it's a bit sifting through <laughs> sand in the needle sack. Like you have to find them first to know that they're there because um I, I yeah, well, part of my job is to give you profile. That's leave it at that. That's that's what this let's talk robotics is all about. And um Actually, last week on my chat there, I, I was speaking to academics from other universities in, in the US and um, I said to them, you know, are you are you connected with um, people in Australia, which I think that's where Clubhouse really comes into its own is is meeting people and you go, oh, look, you're doing the same area of research that I'm doing. And um, okay, look, I put it up as an open invitation to them. If there's anyone in the Australian robotics community that if I know them and even if I don't know them, I will know someone that knows them then I'm very happy to introduce them and do you know because collaboration in this in this field is essential definitely research is a collaborative uh, work we are reading each other's work we're building that's how you build something significant is by uh, looking at what others have done and also working with them I mean uh, more brains is just always better um, of course and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I work only in like collaboratively. You cannot do anything by yourself anyway. So, uh, and I really enjoy working with uh, people from different cultures and different backgrounds. I think they're bringing always very different views. And so that's, that's when it's becoming very interesting. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's, I, I enjoy Claude. That's actually the, the first time I was speaking was during your, <laughs> your room, during your room with, that, that was my first, uh, uh, my first time and I, I'd like to go more often I think it's um yeah I need to build a routine of, of going more often to clubhouse um, yeah it's a, it's a tricky one yesterday um I had professor Paul Bannon talking about assistive robotics as such as the da Vinci robot and um I changed the room because you know you can have a hosting room so I was first in robots for us but it it's um it, that's more international people and my aim is more for the robots in Australia like we, that's really why I'm on clubhouse is, is to get a um people more education and let them know what's happening so I changed it to the best Vegemite room and I think that was I shouldn't have done that at the last moment but anyway look I'll, I'll find the sort of the magic recipe and you know it's also a niche area of interest not everyone's interested in robotics so it's sort of a bit hit and miss but that's very interesting for people like me because I, I arrived in Australia about two years ago although with COVID and and all these like uh the fact that we were in lockdown and things like this, I feel like it's been only six months because I was not able to connect that much with people here, other researchers here in Australia. I was not able to attend local conferences or, and uh, your your show is very interesting because I get to hear and meet people who are doing also robotics in Australia. So it's oh, very, that's, that's very, fabulous. I'm so glad. Well, then it's succeeding in what I'm setting out to do. And of course, you know, like if, if I can introduce you to anyone in the, you know, like if you need to know anyone, please let me know because um, right. I find the robotics 
robotics community. They're an extraordinary generous community here um, and, and happy to, to help people. So, so your research enables robots to provide close, continuous and personalized assistance to people adapting to their capabilities. What does this mean? And can you give us some examples of this? So yes, my core area of research is human-robot interaction, and uh, the human comes first in my research. I really believe that uh, robots are here to help human, assist humans, and so that that's when the difficulty comes because you see that industrial robots have been like deployed already, and they can work in a vacuum room without any human around. But as soon as you put a human, you need to care about their safety. You need to care about how they will understand the robot's motion, how they can plan their the how the human can plan their own task and, and decision based on what the robot is doing and similarly for the robot. So I think it's very important to take the human um, into account, especially I don't, I don't think industry 4.0 will be possible without human robot interaction. So I think it's really core for robotics to work that in this area. And it, the, the final vision I have is just like, just like uh, handwriting was invented and allowed us to um, Kind of store long-term memory we were able to put uh notes and keep notes and keep track of our uh, offload some of our, our memory to writing computing was here to offload some of the calculation that we were not able to do uh i think robots are here to offload some of the physical work that we won't be able to do uh either because it's too dangerous too tiring or that simply because we don't find enough uh people to do these jobs. And so I think, yeah, that, that's kind of the, the, the vision for robotics is really to be here to offload and to be a service for people. And, and I believe that us engineers, we cannot program these robots to accomplish all the tasks in all different kinds of situations with all humans. Um, I can collect a lot of data sets. I will still not be able to capture uh, the whole variation. We see it with machine learning and data-driven uh, machine learning techniques, they're not able to capture subtilities or sometimes they capture things that we think they should not capture, um, like biases that we have and that probably are not uh, ideal. And so I think that uh, um, uh, what, I, what I'm, I, I'm trying to work on is how can we enable any anyone, uh, you, me, to program robots and to interact with robots, to teach robots things that we need for them uh, to do for us. So personalization comes from the users. So I think you should be able to have your, uh, your Roomba and, and tell them like, okay, listen today, Roomba, I want you to do only the kitchen and, and, and go. And just like, just like that is, is going to understand it and do only the kitchen, or can you please go under the table right now? And it will do it. So really enabling anyone to program the robots without knowing about programming. And, and that's kind of like where I'm going to. Listen, it's a, it's a very pertinent point because, um, you know, the robots that I deal with, uh, telepresence and the social robots and also um, the educational robots for kids with autism is that if, and I don't, um, I don't have a, a, you know, a background in robotics, but if I can do it, then anyone can do it. So that's my view on it. So the robots have to be that user friendly that you go, you switch it on and you do X, Y, and Z, and then the robot actually does what you've told it to do, because if it's any more complex than that um, you're not going to have users because it's a very small part of our population of people that are actually roboticists and specialize in it to know exactly this is you know a b and c what you have to do 
I mean, just imagine if it was the case for computers, like if you needed to have actually an engineer helping you to use any software or to change anything, it's, it's impossible. So I think what computer science has done like greatly with, with computers and with phones and all these things is to make them so user friendly that anybody can use it. Uh, a three years old can take a phone and start interacting with it. So yeah. I think we, we, we need to reach this point with robots so that it becomes so natural and so easy that anybody can make use of it and it's actually accessible. And then it become less threatening and I think as well for people because if you, if you know, if you're confident as a user that you can use this tool, uh, for your work or for your personal life, then it's not a threat anymore. It's really an asset for you. So, um, so I think yeah, that, that's what we need to to make it uh, like bridge this this gap right now that only robot robots are for now for roboticists, and it's not viable to to think that there will be engineers between, behind to do the maintenance or to do all these things. So. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Look, it's always when, you know, when I tell people what I've got a robotics company, I always first have to explain to them the robot's not going to take your job. They just, they're just not that smart. And secondly, you know, the use cases and of which I've got many, you know, like we, as you say, it's a piece of technology that's exist, it's, um, it's assisting someone to to live a better life, you know, whether it's a telepresence robot for children that can't go to school or someone that's got disabilities that they can actually attend conferences that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. I mean, that's a perfect use of this type of technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think the first start is to talk to the to talk to people and talk to each of the stakeholders and see how co-design and look, see with them how do they function, How what is natural for them to, how is it natural for them to use the tools, et cetera, so that we can get inspired when designing the robots and the robots behavior so that they can interact, they can understand what's happening, they can fix it interacting with the machine so yeah I, I always think the problem is that robots are designed in in um, computer labs in in universities and the research is done they always go now please just phone me so you can talk to my clients and go what do you actually need because yes. you know like, you you have to have you're solving a problem and how better to just come to someone that's in the industry going and I can tell you now that's not going to work because I know from my clients perspectives whereas I think academics have got a slightly academic bent because you know like there's obviously a paper or something involved in it but but still like good robots coming out of it. Yes a lot of the work I've done in education so I've done quite uh, a lot of work also in using robots in education and a lot of that work we were trying to design activities with teachers. So we would go to them and sometimes even ask them to, I had, I worked also with a, a student in education where she designed the activity and I was just here to help her designing the activity and just supporting. Um, but, but often we go to teachers and ask them, okay, what are you teaching? where this is the this is the platform that we're thinking how do you think it could be useful for you and really try to build with them the whole the whole system but yeah i think it goes with co-design yeah um and and have you been doing this with australian teachers or has the, has this been with other teachers in other countries yeah i've done that mainly in switzerland uh when i was uh, at tpfl when I, I came here unfortunately a few months after right everything there was COVID and things like this, so I, I was not able to reach out to schools. But I think that's something I'll, I'll be keen to continue and collaborate with uh, with teachers because I think it's um, I get inspired on how people learn for, with robots. I think it's interesting to then build the robots that learn with humans. So you can see the mirroring on if I'm learning with a machine, how can the machine learn with you? And um, 
And uh, so that's the, the uh, an interesting question that I, I, I'm keen to explore. So, yes. Yeah, that, that would be interesting because, I mean, like in Australia, you've got like a heavy class, like 30 kids in a classroom, um, a teacher, maybe assistant teacher. So um, it, I, I look forward to your research and how that pans out. So in terms of um, your research with tangible robots um, in, in education and rehabilitation, have you got some examples of that? Yes, yeah, so this project called uh, Cellulot started in uh, EPFL in Switzerland, and the idea was to like we were looking at already like robots that were somehow using classrooms, and we found that often it was teachers that were really technophilic. You know, they were like already uh, kind of programmer teacher, like rare case, and they were using it often off the curriculum to teach robotics and programming, but they were never integrating these robots into their the curriculum. And so we were thinking that it might not be a viable uh, schemes for schools to invest like on hardware to use just for extracurricular uh, activities. So how could we build a robot that could be used just like the pen and paper is used all the time in the classroom? Uh, can we build a robot that can be used for all the all the activities in the curriculum? So that was the challenge. And so we made this small robot, really looks like a mouse. Uh, uh, it's white, it doesn't have much sensors, has a camera and a few like touch sensors on top, uh, three basic wheels and uh, very basic robots. Um, the idea was to work more around the, the software and the activities you could build with it. So in education, we've done different activities, teaching meteorology, geometry, handwriting was the robot. What, what the nice feature that came out with the robot was it was able to give haptic feedback. And haptic feedback is this force that you can feel so we can tune the direction of the force. When you put your hand on the robot, you can uh, uh, feel the direction of the force and we can change the intensity as well of the force. And we use this for learners to, for instance, explore a shape that is not uh, drawn on the paper, but that the robot will make you feel the border of the shape, for instance. Or similarly for the letters, the robot could draw, um, bring your hand and move your hand so that you feel the direction on how to write, in what direction to write A or E. And we've done experiments with visually impaired kids um, um, and we've done experiments also with, uh, after that, yeah, we, we talking to other people that other roboticists working on rehabilitation, they were like, oh, but that seems like a great tool for upper arm rehabilitation. So we started to collaborate with them and, and we brought our robots into their, uh, centers and we designed a game for upper arm rehabilitation. Uh, because one challenge they have is that people in the hospital, when they are uh, with the, the 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 staff, they're doing the exercises. So they're actually uh, pushing their limits and, and doing the exercises for rehabilitation. But as soon as they go home and then they're, they're still given like exercises to do home, but they won't do it. So I think there's like 30%, they found that 30% of people just don't do anything. So they just, um, and then, yeah. But it's yeah. hard. These exercises are not fun. Uh, they're quite often very boring. Actually, you just need to repeat the gesture over and over and you don't have any feedback on how you do it. So if, are you doing it well or not? So our idea was to build a game uh, to force you to do the exercises. So you need to, uh, we build a Pac-Man game and you need to move the robot in this Pac-Man -Mac, Pac -Mac, 
pine mayonnaise, sorry, and uh, and uh, it's very it's it's quite fun. And uh, I've done this work with Arzu Kanezu, who's doing a, uh, finishing a PhD at EPFL, and we did show that gamification pushes people to do the exercises at home and also push their limits. And because of the sensors of the robot as well, it's, it's interesting for the therapist because we can send them the data and we can send them the information on how good the exercise was performed by the patient. And so that's also like a two-way um, two win, I would say, because the, 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 the therapist is also involved and can prescribe also different kind of exercises after if, uh, if they were not well done and give feedback. Listen, I think anything to, as you say, 30% of people not doing, you know, it's a waste of time, you know, they've gone in and they've done actually the hardest thing is the operation or whatever they've done and then, but crucial is the actual exercises. So yes. if robots can assist you in this, I, I can't think of a better use of it. Yes, I think robots and, and having this physical uh, tool and physical uh, uh, toy in that case, because it's really like about playing and gamification that makes it engaging is, uh, is, is a very interesting way. And of course, in rehabilitation, you see other uh, equipment that is used, uh, exoskeletons and uh, things like this, but they're very heavy. The nice thing about our system is just uh, you need a piece of paper, a cell phone, and a robot that is the size of a mouse. So it's very small, so people can really take that home and do it wherever. Um, so yes. Yes, uh, and it's not complex and it's not scary. No, yeah. You just connect your Bluetooth uh, robot to the, your app and it works. So we've done a lot of experiments in different centers uh, in Switzerland. Uh, also uh, with kids with visuomotor coordination issues, we've built other games so that they can train their visuomotor uh, coordination uh, difficulties. Um, and right now it's still not a startup, but we we've, we might like at some point my, with my colleagues at at EPFL, bring this into into market, but it's often difficult to bring a robot on market. Um, yeah, the commercialization is a it's another. Yes, <laughs> it, it sounds so easy, but it's not. Yes, but if you have a great results, like in terms of research, like it, yeah. Yeah, so um, just deviating a little bit back to um, your department there, how, how big is it and, and how, like, what courses do you give in um, robotics for the students? So uh, at, in the School of Computer Science, uh, we have about, I think, 60 academics. Uh, it's the biggest school at UNSW. I think we have more than 3,000 students. Uh, it's... Um, a lot of undergrads uh, and uh, and uh, and a bit less postgrad, but still like a lot of postgrad. And we've we have like we touch a lot a broad range of courses, so from uh, anything like core computer science and uh, computer engineering to a bit more sophisticated topics like uh, computer vision, machine learning, uh, cybersecurity is also like a big uh, area yeah. that we're teaching. Uh, in terms of what I've what I'm teaching, so I'm intervening in different courses right now. Um, one in human computer interaction, so uh, that's a part of my job is the human centric aspect of computing. So I'm teaching in this area. I'm also teaching in computer vision and uh, a little bit in, in in robotics. But I have a new course that will start next year in robotics, where I'm, I'm hoping to bring more computer science people in 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 robotics, like doing more software and AI for robotics. 
Oh, fabulous. Congratulations. I think I, um, most universities now in Australia, if they haven't got a robotics course, they, they're either working on it or they've just launched one. So we, yes, we, we have one that's running since several years. Um, and uh, and actually, it's a great course because it's very practical. Students get to learn about ROS, which is the thing you should know if you want to program a robot. Uh, but uh, but yeah, you do need still like a bit more theoretical aspect as well. So this new course that I'm bringing is supposed to help students to get a bit more depth uh, into like different aspects of like, kinematics, planning, navigation, all these things. And uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be fun. Tell me, what excites you about the work that you do? I can clearly see it now. Our audience, you can't see uh, Wafa's face, but she's smiling as she's talking about her work. So this, it obviously gives you a zing. Yes, I'm. my husband often tells me I'm a workaholic, but I don't think I'm a workaholic. I just, I'm passionate with, with my job and my work. I really love uh, research and I love academia and I love robotics. I think it's a great field. It's a... Um, we do a lot of theoretical things, uh, but if we also have the chance to work with actual objects and physical objects, and so get up sometimes from your your desk and go and test on the robots. And it's always the fact that it's a physical object. I, I always love computer science programming. I think it's super gamified and very fun. Uh, but the fact that you're working with these robots, it's so unpredictable as well. So um, often you test the same. Uh, algorithm several times and it won't give you the same it's not deterministic right so uh, the sensors are noisy you have always have like uh, things like this so it, I, yeah I think it's it's really fun and I really enjoy the, the work in academia working with students brilliant students around uh, that are super excited as well and, and motivated to learn more so that's yeah I, I just really enjoy Oh, it's fabulous. You look like a born teacher, Wafa. Like you look as though this is, this is just your calling. And, and your work does not look like it's a hardship to me. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, I always like wake up with a smile because, uh, yeah, I, I really like what I'm doing. And I think, yeah, there, there is like really good value. I believe in like the good for robotics. Like I, I do believe that we can help people at some point and, and that. Although like sometimes what we do are seems very theoretical. I, I think there's a, a real value for, for robots in the society. And, uh, and yeah, I'm looking forward to contribute to that. Yeah, look, I, I don't know if you, I'm sure you know who Professor Toby Wells is. He's like, I can't guess she's shaking your head to do. Um, I was actually this morning, um, I get a, a newsletter um, and I see France has actually now adopted the Boston dog. I don't know if you've seen this as it's one of its frontline army members and they bought two. And I looked at this and I actually wanted to post something on LinkedIn going, okay, so here it starts and where do you stop? So, you know, Professor Tolby Walsh is very against using any, um, you know, like unmanned drones or anything in, in, in warfare. And um, yeah, what do you think about that? I, I know this is a bit off the cuff, but um, have you got any thoughts on that? Yes, definitely. I think to, it's very actually interesting to have Toby around in the school and to be able to interact with him because he he has this view of uh, of always telling us to be aware of what we're doing and how the risk. Sometimes scientists, and we've seen it in the past. I mean, Einstein and the the. the bomb A was, I think, not his goal, right? So scientists sometimes are blind and they're like looking at the good and what could be done good with their uh, research, but not often like uh, looking at the bad side. And uh, 
and I, I think it's very important that the society, that's why it's important that we talk to people and we talk to the public about our research so that they can point out, hey, listen, what you're doing could actually be misused, you know? And people will notice, like sometimes we don't. And, and I think that's crucial to exchange with the society and exchange with the public before we go to commercialization, even as academic, to talk with people and, and present our research to, to people so that they, they will see positive value, but they also see the risks for, for them and for the society. And I think that's very important. And in terms of robotics, that's why I think we should just always like, keep users in, in, the, in the loop, keep people in the loop, try to uh, build things with, with humans and not just for our own. Yeah, because I, I mean, I can imagine as an academic, not that I'm on that level, but you know, you intellectually, you're so stimulated and you're so excited about what the possibilities and you know, how your case study is going and that yeah, you you can become slightly blinkered, you know, like narrow yes. tunnel, this is what you're doing and you, you know, you if your mind doesn't go there, you can't even entertain that someone could do users for something bad because that's <laughs> just not how your brain works. Yes. And I, when I saw the, that Boston Dynamics was commercializing Spot, I was, wow, that's amazing. It looks so fun. looks like a nice uh, robot. But then you're like, okay, yes, uh, what could it do? You could, see, you could see how it could do good things. But yeah, as soon as you, you, you can put like a, a gun on it, you can put a lot of things on it that will make it very, uh, very harmful. So uh, yeah. yes, there's like always risks for what what we're doing and, and we should always be aware of it and try to and I think it comes with communication and I think it's very interesting that there's like like some people like you and Toby that always uh, are here to 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 speak up and raise these issues like on social media I think it's important that people are aware also of, of these things yeah yeah look I have to say I looked at it and I went Oh no, look, and mm. I mean, there, there are other robots being used for all sorts of other things, but yeah. I think it's the, um, you know, when you, you suddenly see something, it's like the, the frog in the boiling water, you don't realize you cooked until it's boiling, you know, you put a frog in cold water, it doesn't feel the heat until it's over and done with, it's the same thing with these, that suddenly um, they slip in and you don't see it until one day you suddenly start taking notice and then in a way it's slightly too late because it's already here. Yes, definitely. Yes, it's uh, uh, it's sometimes hard to predict these things, to predict how harmful and and um, but yes, I, I yeah, I think if we see more and if we're more aware, then then we might like uh, ask people not to sing. Yeah, speaking out. Look, I mean, the, the work Toby does anyway. Like he's a vocal. He's very vocal, and he's you know he's got a. Um, a petition that's online i think that people can sign against weaponized robots so mm -hmm. um yeah fight the good fight so more positive uh tone girls in schools and um what was it like in france like in australia like we've got like we've got a serious problem of having girls in stem was it the same there or how, how does it work is this just a worldwide phenomenon i think it's unfortunately worldwide um i've i've so I've studied in France, I've, I've been to Switzerland. I, I did also one year in the US, which was uh, maybe because of time where I was, but I was really the only girl in the class. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yes, it's, uh, it's uh, I, I don't know. Um, I seriously don't understand where it comes from because I, I find STEM super exciting and interesting. And, uh, and I think girls are really able to do uh, great in, in the discipline. 
and uh, and I think if you like, I, I think we shouldn't look actually at, at I was never looking around. Uh, I, I was looking at the topic and the teacher and just following. I was not looking at who was next to me and if it was boy or girl. Um, and, and I was just enjoying what I was learning. And I think if you enjoy it, you just find it interesting and exciting, then you should go for it. And I think that, that I mean, girls are smart and the market in STEM is big. So I think they just, they, they'll know and, they, and they'll go for it at some point. And uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of opportunities for jobs in STEM. Mm. Uh, uh, and and I think the, the yeah, I, I'm, I'm confident that it will change eventually. Uh, but yes, yeah, somehow it's it's taking more time. And I, I seriously don't understand why, because at the, at the beginning of school, you do see like girls performing really well in math and sciences, but somehow at university, there's less yeah, interest. I think, I think there's a pivotal point at about year, it's a paper I read on this, that at about the year seven, eight mark, the girls are like, as you say, they outperform, they outperform the boys even. So it's not a question of smarts or not. And then they look where their cohorts are going and then they make the crucial decisions. And unfortunately at that age, if you cut out the STEM subjects, then you pre destined to go a certain direction mm -hmm. and I actually had uh, Dr. Amanda Caples who's the lead scientist for Victoria and, and we discussed this and I said to her look the last thing she can do while she's in the job is she must change it that STEM subject it's a prerequisite for your final year at school whereas at the moment you know you can change and you can drop and that's not going to be a popular decision at all. I said to her, but she can she can handle that. That's her thing. Um, but at least it gives you the option then that if you change your mind, because you if you've made a decision at that early stage and you you're going into humanities, you can't go to STEM. But if you've always got one or two STEM subjects, you can still go into humanities if you want to. But your door is open for STEM. Mm -hmm. That's uh, yeah. I think yeah. Maybe it will be unpopular, but uh, it, it's it's a good way to keep the doors open for girls uh, or like anyone who first went to humanities. I actually changed also my my topic when I was at university. I started with biology. I liked biology, but then when it came to labs, and and I I didn't like it, and I took an elective in computer science, starting to build a game, and I really enjoyed it. I just dropped biology and went into computer science and computer engineering. So. I think, yeah, you, you need to follow what you like and what you enjoy because this is the, the job you'll be doing for your, like most of your life. So yeah. I think picking something you enjoy and you like is, is crucial. And if you like STEM and you just, yeah, continue and go for it. So, so does the university, do you know have anything that the university is specifically doing to um, outreach to schools, anything like, would you like as a lecturer, they go and speak to girls and boys, of course, I mean, it's, you know, like obviously boys, but is that something that's happening? Yes, we have different programs for uh, a different level at the at the university. The Faculty of Engineering has a very strong program called Women in Engineering, mm -hmm. and they have scholarships for uh, for women. So if you're if also like if you're interested in coming to UNSW, you can apply for specific scholarships for women in engineering. It's very prestigious and very good. Um, they have uh, we also have different outreach activities uh within the school to go and and do some co like coding camps and like kind of like uh, introduce people just like i was introduced with 
computing as an elective uh, introduce people like uh, to to engineering and computing outside of the classroom and and, and help them to, to to build a taste of it because uh, of course you cannot like go for it if you've never seen it yeah. so i think also there's this, this issue of reproducing what you see around so maybe the girls see that maybe they don't there's not that many women in engineering so why would they go for um, for engineering but showing them that there is like uh, there's something interesting to uh, to, to see in, in the field uh, is, uh, is very important. So yeah, I suppose to, um, one of my previous guests, um, Ruth Harrison, I, um, she's an aerospace engineer and I was sort of looking at career paths. It could have been someone else as well. But like if you go into say mechanical engineering or electrical engineering, you've got you've got something like 25 different jobs available to you, like different different things that you could be doing with those those qualifications so um look suffice to say if I had daughters I don't my sons are adults but if I had daughters I'd be going to them now listen this is what you're going to do <laughs> <laughs> so that you can make money I mean yeah. I, I that's not to say you can't make money in humanities but in the STEM field you can make serious money Yes, and you can easily find a job, you can easily switch job, and you can take different kind of jobs as well. Once yeah. in, in computer science, once you know how to code in one language, you can code in a lot of different languages, and you can go work for software companies, you can work for a bank, you can work for in a lot of different sectors, because it's, it. it's all over the place. And same thing for all the fields in 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 engineering, they're everywhere, like you're, you're a mechanical engineer, you can work for, uh, to make planes, cars, like any, like, there's a lot of different uh, aspects to it so I think yeah it's it's very broad and and I do think that in humanities so I my bachelor was actually computer science so mathematics computer science applied to cognitive sciences so I have colleagues who went into them more deeply in humanities with this cognitive science background and did psychology and these things and it's I think it's it's narrow we, we do need like psychology but the job market is super Tough. at least in France, it was very tough for them to find something where for me it was easy. It was, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's also this aspect of, uh, uh, of uh, I think you don't want to struggle finding a job after. So you do need yeah. to plan your studies according to, uh, to uh, so finding something you like in a, in a field that is uh, where you can find a job, that's probably the best advice I would like give to girls. Um, uh, but but be open-minded, you know, because they, they make decisions at a very young age that they mm. they exclude themselves and they don't actually know. Like, you, you just don't know because you're too young. You've got no experience to go, actually, I've sort of set myself in one direction. And, um, yeah, look, if I if I had advice for younger girls today, I'd go, like, just be broad-minded and open. Yes. And just because something may be difficult and it doesn't come to you naturally, it doesn't mean that it's not a good option. You can practice and you can get better at stuff. And um, it's just, you know, it's it's actually important to design your life. It doesn't just happen by chance. You know, you don't just fall into stuff. Well, you can, but then, you know, that's the sort of life you're going to lead. But if you actually sit down and you plan it nine times out of 10, it will go that direction or something even better will happen. 
Yes, I, I definitely agree with you. Like there's uh, uh, keeping the door open, it's like trying not to like uh, close any options and, and have them open. I didn't know really where I was going at the beginning. That's why I did this degree that had mathematics, computer science and cognitive sciences because it was super broad. And then after at the end, I said, OK, I'll, I'll keep with computer science and I did a master's and then a PhD in the area. But uh, but yes, at the beginning, I also didn't know after finishing and it just explored and I, I, and I allowed myself to change as well uh, and to swap from biology to, to this other master. So yeah. I think that's important to keep your, yeah, keep your eyes and ears open and, 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 and yeah, follow the, follow the door when you, you really think that it's, it's, uh, there's something behind. Don't, don't yeah. jump, don't <laughs> jump into something. That's definitely, yes. Um, so did you have a mentor through all of this Wafa? Do you believe in mentors? Do you think it's important to have one? So I don't have one. I have several. I think I, I believe in having, <laughs> having a lot of mentors. So yeah, it, it's always good to have people's opinion. And uh, so I often go to mid-academic career, for instance, researchers asking them, and, and I go to several to get like different opinions and different views, and then I can take my decision uh, on on what I think is is a good idea. And I, you can crowdsource your your <laughs> your ideas and your your decisions. So that's pretty good. Yeah, I think it's it's important to uh, to not be uh, to to be mentored and to have mentors around. And, and, and I. I, I, I and yes. I actually think um, it's it's actually important even from a young age, you know, like, I mean, most people, all my guests are obviously they're well into their academic careers or they, they're working already. And, but I, I think even as young as at school, you need to have mentors, you know, you, you the, the, everyone, stu all students should have someone that go, and it's not necessarily someone at your school, it could be different things. It should actually be something that schools offer or universities offers to school. You see, I'm making more work for you. I come up with these brilliant <laughs> ideas while fights just work for you. And notice I'm not going to do it, I'm giving it to you. So that, that school children can actually go, okay, they can, they can contact the university departments and here are some mentors there that they can tap into and go, okay, give us your advice. What do you think here? like what how did it happen for you yeah i think that i totally agree with you actually they had this kind of program similar program in switzerland i've been interviewed by uh they were quite young uh 12 years old uh girls who were like going around in different stem areas and interviewing different researchers about their their research and also about their personal life so how do you manage your life do you have kids do you uh like all these kind of things and it was uh, and they were really curious and and I think yeah if you're curious go ahead and reach out if if you don't know if you're uncertain if you if you're wondering go ask people and and no one will close the door like I I I would never say like sorry I I can't answer or anything but yeah I'll be happy to answer questions if people have and I do with other like I do mentor like PhD students like from other universities that I've just met once at a conference they sometimes reach out and I give them tips I'm happy to yeah to do that I, and I think it's very important it's a give and take I'm doing it also asking my colleagues that are a bit more senior so I think it's important. I definitely think so, you know, in all aspects of life. It's not just your, your career, you know, like if, you, if you're going to get married, you'll go for marriage counseling, hopefully. Um, you know, if you decide to have children, you'll, you know, you don't just go, I'm having children. You actually do some research about it. Again, I say hopefully there probably are people that just go, we're having children, but please don't do it like that. They're hard work. <laughs> 
So look, I, I agree. Um, um, it's probably something you and I can talk about a little bit once we finish with the interview, because now I'm sitting and thinking, oh, well, we can, you know, I, I don't think there can be enough people working in this area of, of trying to encourage um, girls into to STEM. And um, in Victoria, they've just released a roadmap uh, with um, Dr. Caples and Minister, um, it's just slipped my mind, so I'll but anyway, there's a roadmap that's that's available um, for for girls that from primary school, high school, tertiary, where you can have access to um, grants, what programs are available. Like it, it's a brilliant piece of work, and I'm sure something New South Wales can produce something similar because it's you know it's it's state based what what's available to you, and um, it just it just broadens their minds as to opportunities. Yes, and, and I think it, it comes from all of these like things comes from seeing other people doing it. And, yeah. and you, you you talk about this group effect of deciding going to humanities because all your uh, your friends are going there. It's it's super important. So if you make uh, STEM uh, fun and exciting for girls, I'm sure they'll go for it. And, and, and it's super important to start this this little spark very early. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd be fascinated to know what happened to those girls in Switzerland, the 12 year olds, where did they end up going? What did they end yes. up doing? That's actually, that's a great question. I yeah, probably should reach out. <laughs> yeah, ask how many went into STEM and what are they doing? <laughs> so, well, for any closing thoughts that uh, you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, uh, I I do like believe into like, uh, yeah, community building and, and I, I hope like some people would reach out and, and uh, from, from this and uh, and I like want to thank you so much Nikki for what you're doing because I think you're really building you're building like a very nice community here in Australia around robotics and 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 the ideas that you're trying to push are very uh, very important like pushing girls pushing like ethics like into uh, the field and and uh, and it's really great work so thank you so much for for inviting me again. Oh, Wafa, it's a great pleasure. I'm, I'm honored to have you on the show. So if people want to reach out to you, can I put your email in the show notes? Is that okay with you? Yes, and, uh, and you can put my Twitter as well. I'm, I'm trying to be like a bit more active on Twitter as well. It's <laughs> okay. difficult I'll, to manage. But... I'll put it all out there put for it them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, Wafa, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad I got that. We came across each other on Clubhouse, so that's one good thing that's happened there. <laughs> and um, I'm wishing you all the, the lovely day and weekend there and enjoy it, and we'll be in touch. Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. I look forward to your feedback and please do contact Wafa or the email um, attached in the notes and see you in a week's time. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.